All right, all right. Good evening, everyone. Dashiell Miller here, and we're here with episode 156 of uh, Kuden Radio. So, uh, pardon my scruffy face. I told myself three times today that I needed to shave before this thing. <laughs> There's James laughing in the corner, right? And sure enough, my day got away from me. So anyway, all right. Uh, so uh, stepping away a little bit, right, from the uh, discussions we've been having on personal development and success and uh, warrior uh, mentality and those kind of things, right? Getting a little bit more, um, I don't know, toward the tight end, right? Um, we're not doing tight end. Tight end is uh, practicing with the body, right? Again, remember, there's three three different approaches, but it's like three prongs on the same uh, fork or whatever, right? So there's three aspects that we can split all the training out into, and then uh, hopefully the teacher is making sure that you get something from from all those, right? Most people tend to gravitate toward the tight end, right? The physical martial arts skills, uh, those kind of things, right? But then we've got the kuden, right? The training for the mind, um, which in turn also affects uh, the spirit and, and our presence and our sense of confidence and power and those kind of things. And then there's the shinden, which is uh, more personal, um, and uh, where the teacher's kind of conveying more of the essential nature of the art. But anyway, right, so we're going to talk about a tight end thing, right? We're, we're taking a look at kata uh, during this uh, episode, and uh, we'll be doing so a couple of times over the coming uh, weeks and month or two or whatever, right? Uh, again, everything's connected, but uh, we're going to look at it from a couple of different perspectives, okay? So anyway... Um, James is on. We're all good. Right. And so uh, anyway, um, uh, quick phrase here. Right. Hatsumi Sate used this a lot over the years where he told people to forget the forms, forget technique. Right. Forget the kata. Right. So we should probably explore that. And then I've got two other things I want to take a look at. Uh, we'll do that when we get back. So let's officially get this thing started. So, the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kudan Radio. Real training for real people in a real world. All right, and we're back. I need to remember to look at the correct camera this time because I've got my screens over here and James is laughing, laughing at me over here, right? Um, but the camera's in front of me. i got uh, this layout that we're creating here in the home office uh, so that um, things are set up the way they should be, right? Um, anyway, it's really cool setting this thing up. So I've got this behind me for Kuden. I've got um, a, a Butsudan, right, uh, for uh, Mikio practice over on one side, which will also double as kind of a backdrop when I'm doing uh, training in that direction, right? That way the backdrop is, you know, more appropriate, right? And then I've got my hobbies and my relaxation spot and all that, just in case I decide I'm just going to retreat from the world and hang out and my little, uh, I can't even call it a man cave. I, my, my James has been here, right? It's getting set up uh, more and more. Um, but I think I took more of a, 
an approach like um, my Mikio teacher, where um, there's a lot of martial references in Japanese, but it's more like a little temple, a little uh, on or a retreat, right? Um, this feng shui area that, um, you know, you get to recharge it. I think everybody needs to have something like that, even if you create it temporarily, um, just to do some training or some practice or some thoughtfulness, or it could just be a patch in the in the backyard in a corner that the way you're sitting and the angle and whatnot creates a certain kind of experience and certain thoughts and, and those kind of things. So anyway, uh, we're talking about kata, right? So um, I, I don't have my whiteboard, right? So we're not doing it whiteboard Wednesday kind of thing, but you can look this up, right? Um, and it's, you can, you can find lots of kanji, right? For kata, like the word uh, no, like in ichimonji no kata, ichimonji no kamai, jumonji no kamai, whatever, right? Where no doesn't really literally have a name, but it's a connector uh, kind of thing, right? Uh, but if you were to look that up in a Japanese to English dictionary, like uh, good, like if you have a Hepburn Japanese to English dictionary, it's a hardback thing. I, mine's around here somewhere. Um, I'm still unpacking boxes, but print's really, really small. And what you're going to find in small print is like two and a half pages of entries for null, and they all mean something different. So, um, in this context, we're going to take a look at two kanji for the word kata, right? Um, sometimes in some places, you know, one's used as opposed to the other. In a lot of martial arts, uh, Japanese martial arts, they use the kanji that we use, um, but it can be a little bit different, right? Uh, and some of the Korean uh, martial arts uh, borrow these things as well. Uh, James did some of that looking in that direction because he's over there. But uh, so, but the difference between these two, and it, they both mean, they, they can they can both mean form. The operative word here is can, because these kanji and these uh, Japanese Chinese words have many definitions. Okay, so uh, it depends on context, right? Well, how is that even possible? Look, don't shoot the messenger. Okay, um, it's just it's just part of learning the language, right? Um, a lot of my Japanese friends have told me. That uh, how lucky I am to have been born into a culture where English is our primary, primary language, because for a lot of people around the world, English is one of the most difficult languages to learn um, because it's very vague. Right. I know we don't think so because we communicate in it. And it's the language we learned from baby ears on up. But it is what it is. Right. Once you learn some of these other languages that are very, very structured. Right. You, you, you'll see the difference. Right. But either way. Uh, the two that I want to talk about very quickly here before we move into a discussion about how you should look at your kata and when you should, this is going to sound odd, right? When you should listen to a teacher's instruction about those kata. Now, when your teacher's telling you one-on-one, -on -one, right? You have a personal teacher, they're telling you one-on-one, -on -one, you listen to your teacher in the moment that they tell you, right? But what I mean by this is there's a lot of people that have identified Hatsumi Sensei as their teacher or this or that person or whatever, when in reality, all they've ever studied from are videos or books. In rare occasion, and I've bumped into these people over the decades, 
um, in Japan, they'll go to Japan, but they won't go to anybody else's classes except for Hatsumi Sensei. And this was during a period where he wasn't accepting any private students, right? Any personal students. But by only going to his classes, then they would claim that uh, they were they were one of Hatsumi Sensei's students. Does that make sense? James, that makes sense? Right. See, see the manipulation that's going on. I'm not saying they weren't. I mean, I guess technically they are, but he didn't accept them in any way. Right. So here's the thing. If you get a lesson in a general context, right, let's say it's in a book or it's in a video or you're in a class, right, where there's everybody from the lowest Q levels all the way up to uh, 15th Don, Daishihan, whatever. Right. Um, and a lesson is tossed out. You have to understand the context of the class as well, not just the context of the lesson. Okay. So um, it just came to be understood because, you know, he would say it often enough that we got it. But let's just say, you know, you were in Japan uh, for a week. And during that week, you know, uh, back in the day, he would have been teaching two, maybe three classes. Right. And maybe during that week, during those three classes, he didn't mention it. So you didn't hear it, right? But the way it works is in Hatsumi Sensei's class, when he was teaching, right, at Hombu, he was teaching to the upper level people. And the implication, and sometimes it was actually spoken, the implication was if you're not at that level, you need two things, right? You need to just do your best, try to work with what you have, right, in class, try to work the lessons. And two, you need to find a Shidoshi or a Shihan or something like that that can teach you what you need to know to be able to understand what Hatsumi Sensei was teaching. Okay. Now in Japan, well, I don't know about now at the moment, but before COVID kicked in and whatever, right, there were special classes that were put in that like Noguchi Sensei or one of the Japanese Daishihan were teaching that were that were identified as Daishihan classes. So if you weren't a Daishihan, right, um, unless you got some kind of weird special permission and you were already 14, 15 done, and I, I hate those numbers because that's that they they the, even the Japanese teachers twisted things and broke from Japanese convention because. Westerners can't seem to learn the culture that they're trying to learn something from. Either way, right? Um, but they they set these these classes aside unless you were that rank. And I know a lot of people didn't like it because it's not fair. But um, it's just you know um, they were taught it. They weren't just taught at levels that you had to have a lot. Uh, a really solid foundation and more than a foundation. I mean, a foundation all the way up through the Don levels, but you had to be okay with some, with some pain during class. And I don't mean just little tweaking. I mean, I mean, you had to be okay. Right. So anyway, um, let's get back to this cockpit thing. Right. So, Again, Hatsumi said they made, has made these, these comments over the years, right? Throw away technique. You don't need it. Uh, throw away kata, uh, throw away form, right? Or forget it. I think more the, the correct term was forget it, right? Um, so, uh, but what, again, 
the people that he's talking to are at a certain level, right? Where if they hold on to these things, they're actually inhibiting their own progress, okay? At a certain point, the, the thing that's designed to teach you something can actually get in the way. The thing that's designed to help can get in the way, right? We had this same uh, thing in Mikyo, right? In the, in the uh, esoteric Buddhist, well, it's even in the exoteric stuff, right? Uh, in Buddhism and uh, I'm sure there's references in Shinto and some of the other places, right? But um, in Mikyo, um, suffering is seen as a thorn that you have like embedded, right? In your hand, your skin, whatever, right? And then the teachings are also seen as a thorn, but this thorn is the one that you use to dig out the thorn of suffering. But once you've done that, you throw them both away, right? What most people want to do is they want to hold on to the cure, right? They want to hold on to that thorn because you never know when you might get another one in your hand. Well, if you're carrying around a thorn for just, you know, just the right situation, you might find that what happens, right? You get jabbed by this thing, this tool that you have, right? Then how do you fix how do you fix it, right? If if the teachings themselves are the things that are causing the pain or the suffering or the discontent or the confusion or whatever, how do you fix that? Right? Um so anyway, it's the same it's the same idea, right? So we're gonna take a look at a couple of different perspectives for how we should uh, I'm not telling you how you should do anything, but um because most of you are not my personal students. But uh, for my personal students, the word should is directed at you, right? Um, and how you should look at it, uh, how you should look at them, and also how you should look at them at, at, at certain points, okay? So the first thing that I want to suggest, and this is actually more of a question, right? Um, well, James, I'm going to have you play in, play along as the proxy for everybody else. Hopefully his screen didn't freeze up. Looks like it froze up. Maybe he can't play along at the moment. Oh, there he is. Did it freeze up? Looks like it did. All right. Well, it froze up, but your voice is still working. So you get to play proxy for everybody else. Okay. Yes. So um, let's use this this uh, this lesson from Hatsumi Sensei, right? Um, forget technique, right? Throw throw away technique, throw away kata, forget them, whatever. Okay. So the question is, how do you forget something you don't know? Are you still there? Yes. Okay. How do you forget something you don't know? I don't, I don't know because I didn't know it, so I couldn't forget it. Okay. So there's an implication in there, right? He has to be talking to people who know the forms, the, the techniques, the whatever right so there's question number one right how do you how do you follow an instruction see what what happened for the longest time was a bunch of people never bothered to learn techniques or kata or even the te even the kihon i remember one year i was working um uh, not working i was in japan i was working in the dojo i was you know training and this guy next to me who god if i heard one more time that he made six don in six years, I was going to throat punch him, right? Um, nobody cares. And the people who do care aren't 
focused on what they're supposed to be focused on. Anyway, so we're working this technique, and I had no idea name, where it came from, whatever. We're just doing this thing. And he's struggling with this one piece. And I normally don't, like, teach. And, that, and that's not my job. When I go to Japan to get more training for myself, I'm in, I'm in student mode, right? As a matter of fact, the very first class that we're in country, if I have students with me, right, um, I call them all together, a little huddle before class starts, and I say, if I'm not mentioning something to you, don't ask me a damn thing because I'm trying to figure the techniques out myself, okay? I don't drop this kind of money to come over here thinking I know everything, right? I'm over here to learn, right? So, but anyway, this guy's, you know, he's having a problem with this, and he's discussing with his partner. I lean over, and I go, it's an onikodaki. And he goes, a what? Remember, six down in six years. Excuse me. And he said, um, I, I said, it's an onikodaki. You know that that shoulder dislocation thing? And he goes, oh, is that one of those Kionapo techniques? Oh, I didn't bother to learn those. Right? I figured I was getting the rank, so it didn't matter. And besides that, Hatsumi said, said uh, you don't need the kata. Throw them away. Forget them. Whatever. So I didn't even bother. Okay. Well, now he's having a problem with an upper level technique that involves a fundamental movement that everybody's supposed to know. And he's having a problem with it because, well, you know, so anyway, um, so that's question one, right? How do you forget something you don't know? Okay. Second question, James, are you still there? Yes. Awesome. Okay. Um, how do you forget something that you know, short of getting hit in the head with a ball peen hammer or something like that. <laughs> How do you forget something that you know? Hmm. 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 Something bitchy. Good class or good questions. <laughs> anybody start popping things in on the on the chat? Any anybody tossing things out? No, not yet. How do you forget? Well, you take some really good drugs and then you, no. Yeah. I mean, that, not that it wouldn't work, right? Uh, slam your head up against the wall. That's not going to help. I mean, it'll be effective, but it's not going to help <laughs> in continuing on with your training, right? So, all right. So here's the thing, right? Maybe there's a mix-up in translation, okay? And I'm sure he's using the words that he's meaning. But again, this is one of those things that perhaps we're running into a cultural thing in the way that because the translators in class are translating unless they really know the depth of the training. Okay. Um, like when uh, Kasem Zaguri, when he translates, right. Or when one or two of the other ones translate, they've lived in Japan for a long time. They really know not only the, the how the Japanese communicate and what that translates to in English, as opposed to translating verbatim, right? They also understand the depth of the art. So they're able to pull that out of like a historical context, move it into a modern, con that kind of thing. So the skill of your translator makes a difference too, right? But perhaps there's something in the, it's not about forgetting the kata or forgetting the name or whatever, because the more you train, the more this stuff gets 
gets jacked into muscle memory, right? Subconscious storehouse, that kind of stuff, right? Maybe what's being pointed to is stop worrying about doing it right. Stop worrying about like adhering so, so directly, so hard to uh, the technique that you're not able to be spontaneous, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause you really can't forget something that, you know, I mean, unless you've tried to memorize it, like in high school or college, university, whatever, where you were like cramming for a test. Right. But what happens the day after you've had the data dump onto the test? What happens? Freaking forget everything that you do. Yep. Right. I mean, 90% of it's gone. Right. Um, because that's what you that's what you study for. Right. So the kata, I mean, there's lots of things that he said about kata. Right. One of them. Right. Not in the least. Right. But but one of them is that it's a place to start your training. Okay, And he's Sensei's dojo. Um, he's very hard and fast on kata. Right. Um, Seno Sensei, before he, I mean, he passed away mm, last year, year before. I don't know. Uh, time's getting away from me. But anyway, um, during all those years of his training, he would have forms and examples, but they were like henka. They were they were just these. Here's do this thing, right? Do this, then do this, then do this. What's the kata name to this? No name, right? Just. I mean, if you wanted, you could call it sonokata, right? That thing, or konokata, this thing, right? Um, but if you look at what Sumeya Sensei would would do in his class, or what um, uh, Noguchi Sensei, uh, maybe not, yeah, Noguchi Sensei sometimes, but Isuka Sensei a lot, right? Everybody learns the kata because all lessons that are going to come from there. Right. So you have to know that as your foundation and then you can work Henka. Then you can work, you know, as you move up. Right. I mean, ultimately it, it, I mean, we've talked about this stuff for how many different episodes where I keep mentioning this Shu Hadi uh, training format, right? Shu meaning that you copy or preserve, right? Which means however your te- teacher demonstrates the technique, that's what you're doing. Right. If, even if it's just that class, right? You're copying that thing, right? Because all lessons are going to come from that, okay? Yeah, but what if my teacher is doing a variation? He's not doing the, okay? Um, I used to think about that a lot, right? How do I know if I'm doing it right? But we, one year I was in Japan and I was in a class with Nagato Sensei, right? Um, and he brought this up. He said, you know, um, when we're doing this kata, when this person's doing this kata, right? Um, in the scroll, right? It's just a couple of points or like bullet points written out, right? He said, I do it this way. Uh, Seno Sensei does it this way, right? Uh, or uh, Sameo Sensei does it, you know, slightly different from that, right? And then he said, Hatsumi Sensei has never said anything about these differences, and he says, I think he doesn't say anything about it because it's okay, right? You're supposed to know why you're there or what you're accomplishing with a given move, right? And so that's what the kata is 
pointing to, right? So your teacher shows uh, a form, an example, and that's that's really where these kata come to, and I'll get to those in just a minute. Um, but they show this this thing, and then you do that, right? And then once you have that, and you can do that, right? Then the teacher can start highlighting certain things, and then you can start to break the model, right? Which is the ha stage of shuhari, right? Ha means to break, okay? And so uh, what you're doing is working variation, right? So you might be doing uh, fist substitution, right? Switching out a shuto for uh, shikanken or whatever, right? Because now what you're looking at are the principles and concepts, not the mechanical moves, right? So, okay, this strike that's being delivered at this moment to this point, what does that make him do? Well, it makes him hurt, knocks him down. Yeah, but how? The question is how, right? So when we're looking at it, what does it make him do? How does this one set up the next piece, right? Because there's a huge difference when we talk about henka, right? With Henka are all in this hot stage, okay? Hatsumi Sitsu has always made it a point to make sure that we understood that there's a huge difference between doing an authentic Henka and doing whatever you want or doing something else, okay? And the idea with a Henka is that the Henka has to be doing the same thing that the Kata, it's a Henka, it's a variation for, to keep the same name, to be a variation, right? Well, what if it doesn't? Well, then it's something different. It doesn't make it wrong. It's just different. But this word henka kept being thrown around a lot um, because people like basics, right? So, uh, but anyway, right? So you break it and you create these variations and you do these substitutions and all that to understand the lesson of the kata. The kata itself is not the lesson. You learn the kata so you can start learning the lessons, okay? Um, so, and then the final stage, right? So we copy it and then we vary it. We break it to understand it. And then we transcend it, the, to go beyond the form, to go beyond the technique, right? That's the stage where you're going to forget the model. Right. Every Daishihan, every Japanese Daishihan in Japan that I, I've ever worked with that's doing kata. Right. If they didn't do it in class, I'm sure they did it before class where they refer to their notes. Right. Because you have how many kata on each scroll in each lineage, you know, like for all the scrolls in each lineage times nine. That's how I said soke ship of times how many other ones like influenced Bujinkan training, right? Ito Ryu, Musashi Ryu, you know, Manoriki Ryu, uh, all that kind of stuff, right? So um, how do you, right? So before every class, I, I watch Yusuke Sensei open up his worn notebooks, right? And then we do this, this base model, right? So um, be careful. Right. Be careful when you're uh, when you're reading little things like this. Right. That you don't mistake 
a general lesson for a specific lesson, a contextual lesson that was being that's being pointed out. Right. Don't let ego jump over the uh, if you're at training at Hombu with a soke. They're teaching at the 10th to 15th on level. Again, I hate numbers, but right. Um, or they're teaching to the Daishihan or whatever. Right. Um, and so when they make those statements, you can't, I mean, if you're not there, you can remember them, you can jot them down. Also put a little indicator, right? I'm at Hombu. At Hombu, they teach at this level. So when I'm nearing that, here's a lesson for then, right? Until then, I disregard that. James, how many times in class, or I don't know who who's actually on tonight or whatever, but how many times in class have you heard me tell, like, lower rank people or whatever to cover their ears? Or <laughs> have you heard me say that? Oh, yeah. And then I'll say something to the upper level people. Or I'll teach this lesson, right? And then look at certain rank people and go, for you guys, ignore everything I just said. I want you to do this. Mm-hmm. Right? Um they can't ignore it, but I want them to understand that that lesson was for this level, not everybody in the room. Right. Right. Okay. So, uh, and that's important, right? Um, I know everybody's really pushing for the holy quality thing, but um, nobody, nobody in the dojo is equal. Sorry. It, it just doesn't work that way. Right. We all have different experiences. We all have different education. We all have, you know, our own strengths and whatever. Now, as a student there to learn, there's a level of equality, right? Which is why we all wear the same uniforms and whatever, right? So we leave, you know, the lawyer leaves his lawyer position outside the dojo, the doctor, same thing, the whatever, right? So in this case, we're all students, right? And we're all equal that way. But right, no, we'll never always, we'll never all be equal. And it's not it's not the system is out to get you or whatever. It's just, you know, we all don't have the same experience. We all don't have have the same education. And even if we're working in the same classroom or in the same body of knowledge or whatever, we're not all the same place. Right. That doesn't mean we mistreat each other. That doesn't mean we look down on each other or whatever. But it is a part of reigning ego in. So we don't assume to be something or somewhere that we're not yet because ego is trying to leapfrog over important lessons, right? Because the rank or however the other people see me or uh, whatever is more important than, than the ability. Right. So we have to check ego at the door as well. So anyway, all right. So um, did anything come in from about anything that I was discussing? No, sir. Okay. All right. So let's take a look at these two definitions for kata, and then we'll uh, look at some of these other things that I want to look at. Okay. So I have no notes tonight. So I'm just, this is just coming out of. So those of you who come to my class probably uh, have heard some of these things before. So don't yawn or fall asleep. And if you do, hopefully you don't have a mic like mine, so I don't end up hearing right something like you know you thumped yourself. Right. So anyway, for those who are on audio only, you didn't want, you can't see the video and me headbutting my big Yeti mic. These things, are, <laughs> this is a weapon in and of itself. 
right? So um, anyway, all right. So um, these two kanji, and you, you can look these things up, right? One kanji to me, right, is, is to my mind, right, looks like somebody like throwing a punch, right? It's like these two descender, almost fang looking kind of strokes that uh, looks like uh, feet, legs, whatever. Let me bring my, my little note thing up here. Um, but it uh, has kind of this almost a punching or a runner, like this fast moving kind of thing. Because um, the word kata is used outside of uh, martial arts, right? Um, it's used in, uh, oh, man, it's used in a in, in, in context for like painters, uh, flower rangers, uh, potters with their clay, all that kind of stuff, right? Again, because these 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 kanji have a variety of meanings, right? There's a whole you can look these things up, right? And wonder how the hell that is attached to that over there. It doesn't matter, right? You just learn the language, right? But the cop that I'm t- cop the, that I'm talking about, right? Um, there, there's one that's written to me. It's like somebody in a stance, right? Legs are spread, right? And then you've got this, like almost a like an extended punch. James, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay, so um, in in some martial arts, that's that's the one that's used, right? And again, it's also used outside of, right? But this one. While while both kata, both kanji that I'm I'm going to be talking about, right, mean form, right. There's other things that it points to, right. So this kata, the one I'm talking about, right, is frequently used as a suffix, right. So it's an ending, right, to another word or whatever, right. And so it has a general meaning of a way of doing. Right. A way of doing this thing. Right. So it points to um, a pattern or a behavior or a, like a process. Right. Um, or more of like it, it, the, the emphasis is on the form and the order that something is done. Right. So like this step by step kind of thing. Right. The kanji that we use. Right. Uh, most often for our our, uh, our kata, right? Um, actually has way more strokes, right? So uh, it's almost like there's a window, a couple of uh, vertical strokes beside it, and then there's a, a platform underneath, right? So this one, again, it means form, right? But it also has the 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 meaning or the implication of being like, a scenario, right? Um, a uh, a situation, right? But it also points to being a model, right? So where one is a form, as in like like a choreographed step by step. Here's the order of the process, right? Do this, then do this, then do this, right? Uh, like a paint by numbers kind of uh, picture, right? This other one is a form or a model or it points to here's a situation or a scenario, right? So there's still, there's still that, that order or process to it, right? But it's all, it often points to something very different, right? 
Um, one of the explanations I was given very early in my training, right, was how these two types of kata came together, right? A lot of us have trained in martial arts where kata, by and large, were these solo strings, right? James, you were in an art like that, right? Yes. Uh, the beginner kata had how many movements to them? Let's say a white to whatever the next color would be, yellow, orange, whatever. Uh, two, three. And sometimes they were one-step kata, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but they had, what, two, three moves to them, right? Right. Like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then as you went up through the ranks, more and more moves were added to it. Um, or you were doing the same two or three moves and then you changed direction, right? And you often did the kata in like four directions, but they were the same moves. Right. And you change direction, do it again, change direction, do it again. Mm -hmm. So this transitional thing, right? Where as you block, you're shifting. Right. I remember doing a bunch of those as well. Okay. And then as you went up in rank, what generally happened with the kata? <clears throat> the number of moves just got higher. Yeah. So I had a student, um, I, I believe that he passed the test for it, but he had been working on it um, for like two years. He's one of my long-term long -term students, Dr. Mike. Um, he also trained in, I think it's Tonsado, but it might be something different. I apologize, Mike, if you're listening to this. Um, but he was, I think he was testing for fourth Don, sixth Don, something like that. All I remember is, and I may have the, the number off by one or two, but the kata string that he was working on for that rank, right, had 46 moves to it. Wow. And if you forgot one or got them out of order or whatever, well, then, right. So the test was on getting all of the moves in order and mechanically correct. Does that sound familiar, James? Yes. Right. Okay. Um how many moves do our kata have? Depends on the kata, mm -hmm. but generally speaking, how many? Just a couple. Okay. I can't think of any that have more than six moves, and that's if, maybe a seventh move, if it's a kata-like, and I always get these two confused. In the, cult, in the koto school, there's a on the Shodan no Maki, there's a kata called Kito and one is called Keo. Okay. One is actually nested inside the other, right? So you learn the one, you learn the simple version, and then there's this situation where something changes, right? Or he gets knocked away from you and then comes flying back in with something else. That's the other kata, right? So there's this transitional piece in there, right? And we we build off of that, right? Um, I've done that with other kata, like hicho no kata or whatever, where you know you're doing the the low block and then the kick to the ribs and then the knife hand to the side of the neck, right? But then you know what happens if when you kick his ribs, he either leaps back to avoid or you knock him back or whatever, and then he comes flying back in with something else, right? So that's that's pulling that lesson out of one kata. And applying it universally across other ones because the kata step by step is assuming that you've hit him to the correct degree on the right angle. 
he didn't counter whatever, right? All situate all conditions were ideal. Yeah. So, but what we're really looking at is this model. So you have this, this one kata kind of school of thought, right? Where you have solo, the person is doing it solo. Um, uh, and it's just a string of moves, right? And then you have this other form where again, it's kata, right? But you have a training partner. It's you and somebody else or you and a bunch of somebody else's. Okay, as in like the Togakure school, right, where you're doing uh, unarmed, you, you actually have like a mock-up for blinding powder or shuriken or whatever, but you're going up against two swordsmen, four swordsmen, eight swordsmen, 16 swordsmen, whatever, right? Um, but you you have multiple people, right? So at least another training partner. One plays the role of the bad guy, right? Typically called an uke, right? Um, but again, even this has to change, right? And I'll talk about this in a minute. Um, when we're doing these things, right, now you've got this shorter kind of thing, but it's almost like a snapshot in time in the middle of a fight. I mean, there's definitely somebody throwing a punch. In the solo versions, what are you typically, um, what are you typically doing when you're blocking or whatever? And it depends on the school, right? Because some are very Zen-based. And some are not as much, right? But what are you paying attention to? James, that's for you. Sorry. <laughs> um, like, is, is there somebody actually in front of you throwing a punch? Well, that's what you're supposed to visualize. In that ah, okay. So that's, that's where I was going with that. Let me get a drink here. It really is that I have seen nothing else tossed in there. All right. So because I don't need to get goofy anyway. So in some schools, you're envisioning an attacker coming at you. In other schools, you're actually focused on the hand or leg or whatever that's moving. You're focused on the movement itself. That's a very Zen uh, approach because what you're focusing on is the movement. Right. You're making you're trying to execute a perfect movement. Right. So it's a moving meditation. Mm -hmm. So but either way. Right. You, you have to envision these other things. Right. Um, in the models that we're looking at, uh, you don't have to envision shit. Right. <laughs> you, 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 you have somebody coming right at you. If you don't move, if your timing is off. Right. Um, you know, with one kata. Uh, training model or training idea, training process, you can move at your own time, right? You can move as hard and snappy as you want. You can move as slow and flowing as you want outside of, you know, the art telling you, you have to do it this way, right? Um, with our stuff, uh, who dictates the timing? Bad guy, right? Always. It's kind of like with our, our ukemi, right? Um, in gymnastics, who dictates the timing? You do. Right. You do it at whatever speed you're able to do it. Right. Um, with what we're doing, who dictates the timing for your vaults, your break falls, your rolls or whatever. Bad guy. Right. So or the situation. Right. The, the timing that's going on in the situation. So but what I was taught by people way higher level than me was that the one school of thought with the solo kata 
was that what you have are these strings of fundamentals or movements or whatever that, you know, part of the style of the art, right? The blocking, the striking, the taking up of stances, um, whatever, right? That um, they were put together so that a solo warrior, right? Because not everybody hung out with the army that they were with, right? In between wars, you often just went home or warriors would go off into the mountains to these little huts that were built, much like uh, uh, like in the Alps and stuff, right? You've got these, they're not chalets, they're, they're like emergency shelters, right? Where there's first aid supplies, there's uh, dry food, there's whatever, right? So you can get in there, stay safe during a storm, that kind of thing, right? So the Japanese word for one of these places is called an an, A-N, right? So anybody's ever trained with a, a Stephen Hayes or saw his Kasumi-an, uh, the name for his program, right? Um, that's where that an comes from, okay? Kasumi is a play on words, okay? Kasumi means a fog or a mist or a haze h-a-z-e okay and since his name is haze h-a-y-e-s it was a play on words okay but on means a retreat or a refuge right so very often like warriors would go off into the mountains and go to one of these things or create one right and just go hang out for a day or three and just practice they would just go and get away from the world reset whatever they could meditate they could work on their own training whatever um often these ons or hermitages would be a home to a seasoned retired warrior and they would go and pay this person money or do some cleanup or whatever right trade for something and they might only learn one technique and they would work on it with this person for Again, a day, a couple of days, a week, whatever. And then they go back to the world. And then they were left to work on that, right, to perfect it. It's it's not like, you know, often students think they go to the dojo, they learn a technique, right, and then they can half-ass it and not do any extra practice. Because, you know, I'm going to go back to the class, at, you know, another two times, three times this week, another one time, whatever, right? And then they confu- confuse um dojo time with practice time right the dojo is for learning right practice is done outside just like homework right but i shouldn't probably use the word homework because people probably still have a bad sting from school right but what is homework right homework the thing that kids hate people hate whatever what is homework homework is practice for or with the stuff you learned that day that week maybe it's math or uh, some kind of a process that you're working or whatever, right? Or it's study for an upcoming lesson, right? So, because it's impossible to, unless you're going to live at the school and eat, sleep, and whatever, whatever you're doing, that there's not enough time in the day, right, to do that. But um, I'm, I'm assuming that all all the students that listen to this or that are my students or whatever they would never make that mistake, right? They would never confuse class time for practice time. Yes, they would. That's why we do so much stuff redundantly because people 
use class time for practice time. They don't practice outside of class. And those who do, we know it. It's easy to see. Right? But anyway, so the so the one is this string of things so that people could practice right their basics in between wars. Keep their, their movement, you know, keep their, their skill sets um, fresh, right? This other one, right, the one that we tend to use, right, is more an inter- interactive, situational, it's, it's a fight scenario, right? So, yes, you have to learn the movements, but there's a lot more going on in there because there's nothing to envision, right? It's happening in real time, right? So you're getting feedback. Um, and the way to look at those kind of kata are as a snapshot in time. Okay? As a matter of fact, I just released a, a YouTube short, I think it was today, right? Where one of the little notes was, this is a snapshot in time. Okay. So, but nobody reads these things, right? They see them, and, and for anybody that thinks that they're going to learn all there is to know about a given technique, even if it's a, a simple movement, right? Like a here's a knife stab, I'm going to evade it, uh, countercut the arm, and then puncture his the side of his ribcage a whole lot, right? That they're going to learn that in a couple of seconds to less than a minute, uh, just a quick thing with a couple of key points, right? I mean, if they do, they are some of the most intuitive masters that exist, but I don't know why they're wasting their time scrolling on YouTube um, looking at things, unless their purpose is um, to fulfill their their belief that they are godlike and all-knowing. And so what they're doing is they're scrolling because they can't help leaving pissant little comments on different people's videos or whatever, right? So, and what's really funny, James, you, you know, I've talked about this. We click on their, their information and what does it always show? They've got one or zero subscribers yeah. and no videos of their own to show that they know what the hell they're talking about. But anyway, um, the one today I, I posted, it's a snapshot in time, right? I'm forcing this guy to attack me from farther out. I've controlled, and I didn't go into all these words, but the idea is I'm forcing him to attack from that far away, right? They get somebody that posts. Yeah, but what about somebody who's like stabbing you multiple times? Did you see the distance I created? Did you see how freaking far this guy had to reach, right? But again, it's a couple of seconds. I mean, that, that whole video, and I, I do it real time. I do it again, slow down, because that gives me extra time to insert some instructions. And then it's, full speed one more time. And I think that whole video is what, 20 seconds or less. Right. Yep. So um, I, I'm, I'm not doing these videos as teaching videos, right? People who want those need to jump off to the channel and look at the longer term or longer form content because you're not, right. You're not getting these things. But again, what about, what about multiple stabs? Right. The first pop, the first question that popped into my mind, can you can you guess what it was, James? What was the first question that popped into my mind? When the guy asked, what about multiple stabs? Um, I think you know me well enough. Probably like stabbing how or or uh, 
Yeah, it could have been Stabbing Hell, but that wasn't the first one that popped in my head. First one that popped in my head was, can you deal with one stab? Oh. <laughs> yeah, because the rest of them don't matter if you can't take the first. Everybody wants to jump ahead, right? Um, how many times have we had people at a seminar or whatever where we're doing this one thing against, uh, you know, single attack or whatever, and they'll go, well, what about multiple attackers? And this is where I really ruffle people's feathers because I look at them and I go, well, you can't do it against one yet. Right? And you're worried about multiple? <laughs> right? I get it. I get it. Ego wants to be the master. I get it. Right? But you don't get to be the master without putting in the time, making a shit ton of mistakes. Right? So, anyway. Um, so, you got these two very different schools. The cool thing, now, in, in the solo kata category, right, um, in a lot of those schools, they have this type of training called bunke, right? Bunke. Did, was it called that in Taekwondo when you were training, James? Uh, they didn't call it that, but I've heard the term being used. Yeah, so you're, you're taking the forms and you're, you have to kind of reverse engineer it and understand how the movements would be used. Mm. against an attacker, right? So again, now you have this, you're, you're trying to, I don't know, figure it out or your teacher's explaining it to you and things like that, right? In ours, you already have all that, so it's actually easy to just remove one partner and then practice the kata as the attacker or as the defender, right? So... You can work on your balance. You can work on, okay, if I'm the attacker and I come in and he does this counter strike this way, that's supposed to move me over here. Well, well, that didn't take me off balance. But if he moved me over here, oh. So now when you go back to being the defender, that counter strike can't just knock his arm away or it has to be at a certain time or, right? So we can, we can understand a little bit better. Or if we don't have a training partner, right, we can work it that way. Right. We don't have to kind of come at it. Both of them serve their purposes. Right. Um, the trick is, are you working the process? Right. Do you understand where it's coming from? Okay. So anyway, that, that's what I had about the kata. You can look those things up. You can look at how many different tra translations are there are for the word and that particular kanji. Right. So. Anyway, at this point, um, again, for those of you on audio only, you're listening to things uh, after the fact. Right? You're listening on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Radio or Blueberry or what other ones are we on? We're on Spotify. Yes, mm -hmm. Spotify. Yeah. A um, couple of hundred podcast directories. Right? Um, what's that? Yes, something like that. Yeah. So, okay. Um, but they're, we're, we're doing this live with video and whatnot, so... Um, any questions, any comments that anybody's tossed out? No, not this evening, quite evening. Wow, all right. Okay, so. All right, so I've mentioned these, the, the, two, the two ways that I think in the early to intermediate stages of your training. Now, I say that completely irrespective of the color of your belt. Okay. Because 
your belt is based on a general overall, who knows, in, in some people's dojo, it's based on the feeling they get or they, they're trying to promote people the way Atsumi Sensei does or whatever. Um, in ours, you have to you have to learn. There's there's a booklet with skills and kata examples and all that kind of stuff, right? You, there has to be proficiency, right? But the reason why I'm I'm saying this is irrespective of belt color is because this process gets run for every kata, right? They don't all just get lumped into the same group, right? Um, when when somebody goes from one of our uh, belt levels or modules to another, right? There's an overall proficiency with the with the skill sets themselves, but they're able to do for most people they're able to do some of the techniques. They're able to do all of them, but they're able to do some of the techniques better. Some are still going to need some work that they're going to keep working on over time. We hope, right? Otherwise, that black belt test is going to be a bitch, right? <laughs> but um, uh. So this is what I'm what I'm talking about is is uh, where you are with each kata, where you are with each technique. Okay. So and these again, these were two references that I was given way, way back in the day. Okay. Because I was told, here's how you need to look at your kata. Okay. And they don't happen at the same time. You can remember both phrases, but each one fits in a different place. To me, one fits in the uh, the shoe stage, right? The copy preserve stage, very early, and the other one is at, it's still in the shoe stage. It's S H U, not S H O E, right? In the shoe stage, later in it, just before transition to the ha stage but there's some bleed over there as well okay so that's why i say beginner to intermediate stages with a given technique okay so the first way to look at a kata is as an expert role model okay and the reason for that is People sign up for martial arts classes or they, you know, jump in. I don't care if you use the word sign up, enroll, uh, I joined the class, whatever, okay? There's this need or want, whether they it's spoken or not, right, to be able to handle, right, a bad situation. Unless somebody – well, even if they sign up to um, – you know, just be very proficient with these movements. Um, they're not going to take up painting or poetry. Uh, they're going to take up martial arts, right? They just want to be very proficient with this kind of a thing, right? What they're aiming to be is an expert, as a master. Whether they're humble and will use those words or not, right? Very high skill proficiency that others can emulate, right? That make you feel very... That's expertise, right? And an expert has expertise that's why the same root is it anyway all right so um so the idea with this is you want to be an expert here's how an expert would do it and of course every school every style or whatever has their thing but here's the thing right so that's that's part of the reason why in the shoe how do you model in the shoe stage for copy and preserve you're not allowed to do henka you're not allowed to change anything 
right? Your style doesn't matter. Your preferences don't matter, okay? You're setting out to be an expert. Here's how an expert would do it. Do it this way, okay? Um, so what this does is it forces you to figure out, right, things like, part of it is the why, right, but to figure out how your body moves, what work you need on yourself. Do I need flexibility? Do I need strength like in the legs? Do I need uh, better spatial awareness because I don't step far enough or not gauging the distance properly, whatever, okay? So the kata is teaching you relative positioning and step-by-step -step logic. He's doing this. I go to here. Because I go here, right, this jams up some of his stuff, all that kind of stuff, right? So there's tactical lessons in there. There's strategic lessons in there. That's not what's leading. That's what I'm getting out of it by sticking to the kata. I don't change things and throw a bunch of henka and variation in because I lose my anchor. Okay. Now, um, for the, and this is, you can share this with anybody and tell them that I said, um, they believe what they believe because they don't understand the purpose of the thing. And this is when, and there, there's some really good fighters. There's some freaking killers out there in the world, there's retired Navy SEALs and all that, uh, MMA fighters, really high level guys who will flat out tell you, yeah, kata don't work, right? They won't work in a real fight. I have an episode coming up later on about that, okay? But here's the short answer. They're absolutely right, okay? Because they're not designed for that, okay? Does that mean you can't use pieces of a kata? Does that mean that something that resembles a kata might not come out in a fight? Nope, okay? But if I'm going into the fight expecting that I'm going to do Ichimoji no kata, Okay, because shit's going to get real and messy, right? So that's where the don't attach yourself to it. But when I'm working in the shoe, SHU, level of training with my kata, my concern is not why I would use this, when I would use this, how, where, right? Um, what if there's multiple attackers? What if there's multiple knife stabs? What, what matters is getting the pieces right, okay? The way this was related to me in the early stages and, and all the way up through is it's like when you learn to write the alphabet. Okay. When you first learned, unless you're in a generation where it's all electronic and all you have to do is know the alphabet and push it that you don't actually have to write, which I think is very, very sad because science shows that writing, not typing on a device, writing is the active part of thinking. And when you write things out, you speed up the learning process because now it becomes visceral. It gets into your subconscious storehouse way faster. And modern brain science is showing us that your subconscious is your body. It's the whole neural network, right? So the more you take notes, the more, like I'll sit down and, and watch one of Hatsumi Sensei's videos or one of the older ones, whatever, right? I don't care if it's on YouTube or uh, DVD. I still have stuff on VHS because I'm old. Anyway, right, so, um, but I'll sit and, and I'll review and I'll pull out a notebook and take notes. He'll say something. I'll see a movement. 
that take. I'll, I'll literally write it out because it's 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 working the whole system, and it speeds up the learning. The learning becomes holistic instead of ac just academic, right? Does that make sense, James? Yeah. That makes okay, cool. So um, again, what we're what we're doing is is focusing on the model, right? Because it's an expert role model. And so I'm going to learn this thing. So then I can start learning like and understanding the tactics and the strategy, right? The cause and effect, the karmic chain, right? Um, I do this or he does this. I go over here to neutralize that. That limits certain options that he has, opens up other ones. He does this. I do that kind of thing, right? So that's the first one, right? To just get that down because, again, if you're signing up for a martial arts system, right, call it a style, call it whatever you want, right, then you should probably learn the stuff that was passed down by people that had skill sets way more than you do. What I, what I always thought was funny was that people that have no experience in a given style, even if, even if they're good fighters, right? Um, or they have been trained in other styles or whatever, right? Um, they'll make snap assumptions using this one filter over here, right? To translate this other thing that's new that they're looking at, but they're basing it on their own belief system. Okay but they haven't been educated into the science of the thing they're looking at they're, They haven't been, you know, that'd be like, that'd be like going to an Italian restaurant. You know, you don't speak a lick of Italian, but you don't want anybody to know that. Right. So you open up the, the, the menu and there's some English in there. Right. But you see the Italian names. Right. And you look at the top one. Right. Cause it looks like it's the easiest one for you to pronounce. Right. And the waiter comes over and you go, I'll have a Pigioni please. Right. And somebody has to smack you and go, dude, that says page one. Right. Because you're just all over the place. Right. You make all these freaking assumptions. Not you. You guys are all enlightened. Right. But again, um, so the first way that I think that a student and I don't again, I don't care what rank you are. Right. New students the most with because everything's going to be new. Right. We don't start to guess about it or anything like that. Right. But anytime we get a new kata, right, there could be a lot about that that you know. So it'll speed up the process, right? The higher in rank, the more experience, the more training you have, the less time you have to spend at the shoe stage. But you shouldn't overlook it, right? Because it's an expert model, right? So what is it that a past expert, right, Who's, who was able to handle trained killers, what are they trying to convey to me? Why? Why this? Right? Stop doing the damn stamp and coin collecting alternative, and we're just going to cut the collect. Right? What is it? Because we have to work this through the other phases yet. We're not allowed to transcend it just because we learned the moves. Right? What the hell are you transcending? Right? So... In the early stages, right, I'll go back to the writing analogy, right, you learn to write, right, printed letters, right, and hopefully they've gone back to cursive and all that, but anyway, right, so you're writing capital A, lowercase a, right, you have to fit between the lines, it's a certain size, 
Japanese school children have to do the same thing, right? When they're learning kana, right? They don't have the papers like, I don't even know if they still use this stuff. But when I was growing up, right, we had two bold lines with a dotted line or a dashed line in the middle. James, you're closer to the kids in school kind of thing. When your son was learning to write the alphabet, did they use a paper like that? <clears throat> My son did, yes. Okay. All right. So, um, so you have these two bold, and so you know where the, where the bottom of the letter is supposed to be, top of the letter is supposed to be, and, and any crossbars, whether it's an H or an A or whatever, right? It's supposed to be on that, da- on that dashed line, right? right? So you practice, right? Because what you're really learning is not just how to write it, but you're developing the coordination and the dexterity to write it smoothly and correctly every time you write it. The idea with with uh, with our our students in the in the academy in the dojo is um, you systematically pick up the speed at which you're doing a, a given technique, right? Um, so that you can do it eight out of ten times correctly at at least eighty percent speed, without forgetting, without fumbling, whatever, right? Until you can do that, you're not ready for the next stage, right? I know it irritates the shit out of ego because it has to practice more wants to throw up great go off in the corner throw up come on back get back to it okay so again that's one way to look at it right but remember you know when you were learning to write you you whatever right so um the other way and again there's more ways to look at your kata right um one year in one of the seminars didn't i go down through like a list of nine different and i stopped at nine like nine different ways to practice kata for different reasons Mm -hmm. right Spatial relationships, timing, all kinds of stuff, right? Um, leg strength, range of motion, um, time, uh, time, breath, synchronization, mm. all, all kinds of cool stuff. And those were things given to me down through the uh, through the ranks as well. Okay. Um, anyway, um, I think over time the depth of training tends to change, and I. I don't know. I don't know how to help. Anyway, so um, so the other way to look at the kata, and this will springboard off of that first one, right? And it's related to it, but it should come next, okay? Because as you go faster and faster, Right. As the speed picks up, you will hit a wall. And that's where people want to jump off the model and start doing variation. They'll say things like, well, that doesn't work for me. So I do it this way. Or, um, you know, again, against or, you know, I, I prefer to stand this way. And so, right. I did. So they have all kinds of reasonings for why it changes. Okay. But the reason for picking up the speed and making sure that you can do it minimum eight out of 10 times correctly at minimum 80. When I say 80 percent speed, I mean like street speed. okay? because that's what we're training for. Right. So what's going to happen is you're going to hit walls okay? where something's going to go amiss. And it's in those moments when you remember the second way to look at a kata which is as a bad habit breaker, okay? 
So the reason that the technique starts to fall apart the faster you go is because either as you go faster, right, you're not going to the correct position or you're you're tensing up too much or whatever, right? Or you've been doing it all along, but because it's slow speeds, you have more left brain control of your limbs, right? We catch this all the time. Yes, James? Right? Yes. So at slow speeds, people can do it correctly, right? But what ends up happening when you go faster, your left brain can't keep up with the speed at a certain point. So what's in subconscious storehouse? Muscle memory, right? Tactile, tactile um, response and how your muscles fire. The way you normally do things, the way the synaptic pathways are wired, that's what's going to come out. So going faster or being surprised, right? We've done that in class too, right? Being surprised by somebody, right? Um, that flinch response tells us exactly what's wired in muscle memory. So if it's not right, one of two things have happened. Either we haven't practiced or we don't understand it, right? So we're not doing it. We, we don't even know that we're supposed to do it. Or two, we haven't practiced it enough that the new movement pattern has created, right? The body's torn down the old movement pattern pathways. And that goes for brain and muscle, right? And the old habit hasn't been replaced with the new one. Okay. Speed and surprise always exposes proficiency. Okay. Because right, once you get beyond what the left brain can control speed wise or coordination wise or whatever, what you're left with is the way you do things. Okay. So, what that means is you can only fake it for so long. Okay. Um, and so if we remember that it's a bad habit breaker, then what we have to identify, we have to, what we have to do first is recognize and accept that there's something off with our, with, with my movement. I'm going to, I'm going to make it personal for me. Something off with my movement. There's something I'm not doing right. Okay. Um, and I have to, I, I have to figure what that is. I, to, I mean, it's on the Konko Kai model. It's the very first stage of, I, of knowing that something is off. And then the next stage is figuring out what that is, right? Because you can't work on fixing anything until you know what it is, right? The number of people that run around guessing what's off and trying to fix things, right? Um, and I, I, it happened with my training, James. Happened with your training, right? Yes. Where you're trying to fix something, and you just it, mistake keeps being made, right? But well, I'm going to ask James, right? Um, what's the primary reason that no matter how much work somebody tries to put into fixing a technique or whatever, what's the primary reason why it doesn't get fixed? Just. <clears throat> A lot of times you're trying to use where you think the problem is, isn't really what the problem is. Right. Back a little further. Yeah. So if you lose balance, you know that, look, I've got a range of motion kind of thing here. I must be le leaning or pitching or whatever. I accept that. 
right? But if all of a sudden, like your angling is off and you're in a weird position, you can't get your arms, whatever, right? Very often, the problem is not where the mistake or where the technique breaks, where the kata breaks. That that move right there, ego assumes, we assume, that wherever it went awry, that's where the mistake is. So people will spend an inordinate amount of time trying to fix that particular move when the reality is that the the problem started a move or two back. And because that was off and it wasn't corrected for in the next move, you're now hitting a bottleneck, right? So very often, like if we're trying to fix it and it's not happening here, then we need to look back a move or two or whatever. I think I told this story in the past um, when I was prepping for a second Don test. Yes, ours were not just handed. Oh, what is your rank? Oh, Shodan. Okay, now you're a Nidon. Okay, please pay your money. Okay, wasn't done that way. Right? We had standards. We had to do demonstrations. Whole deal. Right? So, testing. I mean, I was prepping for my Nidon test, and there were a couple of kata that were in that curriculum that I was just having a hell of a time with, right? And I finally just, I got frustrated with hitting the wall and I just had this moment where I thought something is off, but I couldn't identify it. I'd go back a move or two or whatever. And I'm like, okay, if I'm going back all the way to the beginning of the damn technique and I'm still not able to make it work, then I have to have a problem in one of my basics or one of the basic basics. And while they, whatever I've been doing has worked up to this point with the techniques I've been given and with the skill sets I've developed and all that kind of stuff, this can't possibly be the kata. The kata is a couple hundred years old. It's survived the test of time, right? So first off, don't blame the kata. Before you blame the kata, find a mirror, right? Okay. So what I decided to do was go all the way back to Sanshin Kyonapo and rework them. And most people won't do those because because they assume, well, I already know that shit. Why would I go back to that? Because you learned it when you were a white belt and you made certain assumptions and the way you understand it was as a white belt okay have you looked at it since have you looked at it as a you know fifth cue have you looked at it fresh right as a shodan but you can't really look at it stress uh, fresh just like in the beginning when i talked about how to me they saying um you know forget these things and i asked james what i ask you how do you forget something mm-hmm. right how do you forget something you know okay but what's happened between when you learned the Sanshin or you learned the Kyonopo or you learned that fundamental or whatever is you've been exposed to how many more lessons about timing, angling, distancing or whatever. Have you gone back and looked for those things in the original model or are you still doing the original model like a white belt does the original model? Because I don't know if you noticed or not, but when Hatsumi Sensei did Sanshin, um, they didn't look the same. Kinapo didn't look the same. 
Okay. Maybe people didn't notice because they were too busy copying like that. This is the new way to do it. No, this is how somebody who had decades of proficiency and growth through the process dropping, not just learning why each move is there, but dropping unnecessary moves because a kata is loaded with training wheels. Oh, well, then I just take off the training wheels and just race on through. Yeah, Training wheels are to keep you from falling on your freaking face or making an ass out of yourself, right, until you understand things, right? So I went all the way back, and, you know, so now I'm back. There is almost a need on going through the models again. So like, Son of a bitch, right? I'm catching little things that are off, like with my leg alignment or – uh, timing or whatever, right? So I fix those, go back to do the, the Nidan Kata because I told myself I'm not doing these things. I'm not touching these things until I systematically, starting with white belt, Sanchin, Kyonopo, whatever, working forward until I find the problem. Well, it didn't take very long, right? But what I would do is I'd fix a problem and then go try to do the Nidan Kata. That was the plan. I was going to do that, right? Find out where it broke then, go back, fix this, go back, whatever, right? Took me two cycles. And next thing you know, I don't understand why the hell I couldn't do it before. I mean, I knew why, but I didn't run into any problems. I mean, I flew through the kata, right? Because it wasn't the kata, it wasn't the move where the mistake or the break manifested. It was, I had a bad habit. I had two of them. Right. And so by seeing kata as bad habit breakers and not just I'm imitating a cool warrior killing someone else. Right. I'm letting the kata identify bad movement patterns or bad habits that I have. Yeah. But Hatsumi Sensei said, uh, move naturally, move. You know, you, we all have our own bodies and we're that doesn't make that doesn't mean that there isn't a correct form. That means that you have a certain leg length. So don't bend your knee as far or as little as he does. You work your range of motion, but you still make sure your feet are flat on the floor, but the weight not pitched into the arches. Right? So there's still correct things. But again, people grab these things because ego will find any way it can to create a shortcut. Right? Not really a shortcut. Right. Um, you know, it's like reading a map. Right. Hey, what if we like why are we following this black line and everything? Right. Why don't we just cut across this blue one over here? The blue one's water. It's not a road. But hey, you know, you do you. Right. So first one, expert role model. No changing. No. Right. Whatever. Right. And then when as we're building up the speed and all that kind of stuff. Right. And we hit a wall, again, not the kata, right? Now we flip from expert role model to bad habit breaker, right? I start looking at, okay, am I losing my balance here? Am I stiffening up? Whatever, is that what's causing the break? If that's not it, then if I've tried to fix the, the place where it seems like it's broken and it's not changing anything, then I start looking backwards. 
was the move before it? Is the angle right? Was my alignment right? Did I step far? Whatever. Right? No assumptions. Yeah, of course. I mean, that was a simple move. How can I screw that up? Before you ask that, make sure. Right? And then if it's not that, back up again. Right? If you back up all the way to being in the technique and you're still not fixing it, then it's got to be something even more base level than that. Okay? Like how you walk, how you transition the weight across your feet, how you use your hips, knees, and ankles while you're walking. All of these things are known as kihon no kihon, right? If they're off, right, no amount of practice is going to fix a technique that depends on you having smooth transition of weight, balance, pressure, and all that across the systems that make up your legs from the hips down. In the early days, we spent an inordinate amount of time on hips, knees, and ankles. Hips, knees, and ankles. And the correct tread on the ground. Right? I've got really bad arthritis in, in my hips and knees these days, so you know, I look at the videos that I'm shooting, and I'm, I'm almost positive that my knees are forward where they're supposed to be. Um, the weight's in the right place over my feet, but my knees are drifting in because I'm bone on bone. Right? I don't have the same kind of connective tissue and cartilage keeping that same thing. So it's a little bit more of a struggle. Not an excuse, just something I need to be more mindful of, right? So that I don't blow out a meniscus or something like that. Anyway, so again, in a couple of weeks, we're going to look, we're going to pull Kata back out again and look at it from a different perspective, right? But um, I, I think these things need to be put into perspective, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be covering it. <laughs> anyway, and since nobody's sending in questions or topic uh, requests or ideas, then you get what you get, right? So um, anyway, uh, James, do you have anything to throw on top of this fire? Oh, uh, I don't, but Rob Murphy threw a comment in. Okay. Uh, some, sometimes you are focused on one part while missing the other. I have problems with that and the kata or the technique. I see it, but I don't recognize it or notice. Hmm. Yeah, and it's okay. I mean, um, one of the reasons that we give everybody that 5D model, right? Discern, defend, disrupt, deliver, discern kind of thing. As Obviously, it's a tactical thing to know where you are in any given fight, just intuitively, right? So you know what to do next, or you know whether or not you're free to move into that next phase or you keep your ass guarded or whatever, right? Instead of just throwing shit around. Um, one of the reasons we do that is, look, if you're given a technique and you're having a problem with where something goes, um, often what ends up happening, and then, I, Rob, I don't know if this is you or not. I know it happened to me a lot, um, and it happens to students quite regularly. And what I mean is, from the very first moment that the attacker throws the punch the student's mind most of their mind is on the finish like their feelings their whatever right their intent is on finishing successfully and i get it right we want to take the guy down we want that smooth finish we want to do the technique right right but 
what really needs to happen is they need to focus on each doing each move correctly. Because if I do each move correctly, the ending should happen by default. Yeah, but what if it doesn't? Well, that's for later training because for right now, the goal is to finish the damn technique, right? So you might just do like the Kamai evasion and the counter strike. Get that down to where that becomes just the thing. And then Kamai evasion, counter strike, counter attack. But the counter attack is the, the initial part is part of the disrupt, breaking his balance, locking his system up kind of thing, right? Uh, people tend to rush to the end, right? They want that successful finish. They want the ass-kicking move, whatever. Okay, But I want to leave you with two thoughts here. One is uh, the whole cut is built on moves, right? So each one sets up the next, right? So when I'm doing, and this is a, this is a mind thing, this is a psychology, meditation, whatever you want to call it, right? When I'm doing each move, that's all that matters. Because while I'm doing the move, I also need to be paying attention to, did that move open the pathway or the target or whatever for the next move, okay? This is a lesson that is in a lot of our kata. Okay. Some katas start off with a punch, right? And then you do X, Y, Z, ass kick, he's done, right? But have you ever noticed that there's some kata, like uh, Nakoto Ryu Shoden, uh, you have Kyogi, uh, Tangeki, uh, Shiaku, Hida, uh, some kata like that, right? Where there's two punches, right? Or if you had the scrolls, you could look at some of these kata that have one punch or one kick or whatever. But before it, there's the kanji for this word jiu, which means roughly, formlessly adapted. But what it really implies is shit came before this, and this is the moment you catch the opportunity. Okay? The kata doesn't operate in a vacuum. You learn it that way, and that's where ego confuses it but it's a snapshot in time, right? So that's one way, right? To recognize that each move is there and I need to be paying attention to, did it create the, um, the result that it's supposed to so I can do the next piece? If not, beginners should be, as soon as they run into a problem, right? Where they forget the next move or they realize that it didn't open up or whatever, right? <clears throat> bail out, right? Move out the come on, create more distance because you're actually practice, practicing a skill. You're practicing to reset the fight so he has to re-engage. He has to move in again. He has to do all that extra work except that you've already gathered information about it. Okay? Now he has to work harder. Okay? He didn't get the surprise jump on you or maybe he did in the beginning but now, now he's showed his cards, right? So now he has to move back in. He has to do a lot of extra work to set things up again or bum rush you or whatever, right? If you're intermediate or advanced, right, um, you stop, right? Let's say I move to Kamai. I do that counter strike, but it didn't open anything up, right? I'm going to wait for his next one, okay? You know, the nin that we wear on our jackets, right, okay? It's most often translated as perseverance, right? But what's a huge 
key piece of perseverance. It's the other translation of this. What is it, James? Patience. Patience. Don't worry about rushing it. He'll expose himself. Okay? So if you rush in, he'll be defending against you. But if you wait, so these kata that have two punches, right, that's what they're showing you. The first one didn't do, it didn't create an opening. You didn't have an opening. Here comes the next one. It's going to be inevitable. Or you just wait for it, right, because that one didn't work. You don't just rush in. Okay? But people that, when they learn kata, right, well, this is the kata. You do one ukinagash, you do two ukinagash, and then you do X, Y, Z. Why do we have to do two ukinagash? Why not three? Why not one? Well, the reality is it could be one, it could be three, it could be five. Okay? Which one opened him for the next move? If you're not learning that part, then you're just learning a choreographed dance move. Whatever, right? The audio people miss out a lot of this stuff, right? Anyway, um, what was I saying? So that's one. Um, what's the other thing with the kata? Shit. I lost it. I got caught up in that one. I did say there was two ways. Maybe it'll come back, right? At the moment, <laughs> it's, it's gone. <laughs> it'll come back. Um, all right. What else we got? That was it. That was it. Thank you. Uh, Rob for allowing for that extra insight and thank you everybody else for not popping another question or whatever in so that I am now stuck with <laughs> what the second part was going to be. Um, do you remember where I was going with that, James? Um, so the first one was making sure that each one, or you focused on each one, right? Um, oh, got it. It's back. Okay. And the second reason you focus on each move is because each move in a kata should be the last one you need, including stepping back and doing uke nagash. Or just shifting for kamai evasion. You do it like it's going to be the last one you need. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, that's because you keep focusing on the end of it. Like the completion of the technique is some kind of da, 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 rocky dancing at the top of the steps or whatever. Okay. How would things change if you focused on each move should be the end? Okay. Because here's a little, another little secret, which we'll talk about in a different episode. Right. Um, Arkata are overkill. There's too many moves. Okay. So, like, have you ever noticed that there'll be a kata where you move in and there's a shot to the freaking solar plexus, like the xiphoid process, or the floating rib, or you're hitting uko for God's sake, right? That's a kill shot, right? Or a punch to the throat. That's to crush the trachea. Okay? And then you scoop in and do a musodori or a ganseki throw or something like that, right? Why? Well, the other one might not have been enough. So the kata always goes one or two moves past the one that would have been the ideal. 
So if we can understand how to read them, how to look at them, right? Again, we have to grow into that, right? And my, my hope is always that if somebody's still in the beginner levels or in some people's cases, restarting or whatever, right? They hear this upper level stuff and that makes them look at the beginner stuff in a different light, as in like, I got to get this, right? And, you know, um, it, it takes a certain just wherewithal, right? Uh, and going back to Rob's thing, right? If you have a heck of a time remembering all the moves to get to the end, then work it systematically, right? Do the first one, right? When you think you have that one down, do that and add the next one, right? Even if that's just come on evasion, and then you're going to do come on evasion with the counter strike, right? Do that a couple of times, right? Then we're going to add the next piece because the rote repetition of doing the previous moves, right? Now you don't have to remember them. Right. They're going to become part of the rhythm and they just add the next piece. Right. And then. Right. The problem is that people often jump in trying to learn the whole thing because, well, that's what Sensei demonstrated. Yeah. But if that's not where you are. Well, I mean, one of the common things I tell white belts in class, though, it's like their first class or two. OK. We're doing this move. And maybe it's for mod two, mod three, whatever, right? And I'll turn and look at them and go, I just want you to shift out of the way in this position. I want you to shift out of the way in this combine. I want you to go up, practice going off at this angle with this position. Your, your class helper or the instructor that I've assigned to you will help, right? But your job is to just not get hit and move to this position where it's hard for him to do the next move, okay? You'll grow into these other things. Right. So um, and I know that seems like I'm making him wait longer, but believe it or not, that actually speeds up the learning process. Because we have to pre we have to be careful training incorrectly, because if you train incorrectly and you practice often and consistently. If you're training a mistake, you have to train to undo the mistake. It's like carrying that little thorn that dug out the first one. So anyway, that's what I have for this one. If um, I'll take some questions or comments for the next couple of minutes and we'll see where things go. But I do have, um, let's see, how many how many weeks? I'll give you a while well, I'm waiting for questions to come in. Um, let's look at the schedule here. So uh, next week we're going to look at that red pill, blue pill symbology uh, that came out of the movie The Matrix. Right. But we're going to look at that from, um, again, looking at mindfulness. Right. And to guard against certain brain wiring. Right. That um, it's there to help you. Right. It's there as a survival mechanism. But we have to. Um, we ha we have to. We have to rewire ourselves, right? And we have two ways to do that, right? We can um, we can recognize that certain beliefs or patterns or, or whatever that we have, right, going into something could trigger that 
And when that mechanism triggers, because it's trying to protect us, it will keep us from actually doing it or fully engaging. Or for some people, they need to reframe why they need to do this thing, the goal, the job change, whatever it is, right? How they need to reframe it so they can take advantage of that survival mechanism so that will actually drive them forward, okay? And I'll, I'll explain more of that uh, next week. Um, week after that, we're doing the five-element system for growth, right? Um, let's see. So that's... Uh, so I, there's two weeks. That's a, that's a part one, part two kind of thing. Um, we'll talk uh, again about your goal is your limitation. And then we're back on uh, the kata thing. And um, so was that three, three or four weeks from now, uh, when we come back to kata again, right, we're going to be addressing that argument that people have that kata don't work for real fights. Right. And so we'll dive way into that. Um, and again, some more, Lessons I got from Matsumi Sensei, some of the other master teachers, all that kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, I have, um, yeah, again, we'll be, you know, we'll look at the Shuhari uh, kind of thing again, but um, we would definitely want to address that to make sure that people, you know, that you guys have what you need, right? Anyway, was that enough time to uh, have anybody ask any questions or comments? Nothing else came in. Okay. Well, in that case, um, this Thursday, I'm doing another free webinar on uh, some things that are involved in that uh, Sanji Shichi Dobon, 37 Fundamentals on the Path Leading to Enlightenment that we started last week. Also, uh, if you didn't sign up for it originally, uh, like the we, we did record it and the recording went out to uh, everybody who had signed up for it. Right. So we will give everybody a chance to do that again. Um, uh, I'll, I'll just send it out. It's, it's set to expire here in a couple of days. Um, I think two days, three days, something like that. Um, and then, so on Thursday, um, uh, a big part of the Sanji Chi Gobon and what it's founded on are something known as the four noble truths, right? Um, why things are off, why things are, you know, why things go screwy, right? Why, um, everything's going along fine. Next thing, or why our constant experience is, crappy or whatever, whatever's going on. Right. Um, so there's this, the, these four truths that everything else kind of points back to. Um, so on Thursday, um, I'm going to do a teaching on the first one of those. It'll slightly touch on the second one, but I, uh, that's going to kind of get people, uh, set up for, so we've done the tail end and now I'm going to do the very beginning of the front end of this thing. But the Sanji Shishi Dobon actually kicks off. It actually begins with the fourth part of that, those noble truths, right? So part four. But I'm going to focus on, um, like, majorly on one with a little bit of, of number two. That's actually a part of the full course when people get into that 37 fundamentals thing. But we're going to, we're going to look at that. And I think what, uh, James, you and I kicked around a, a title for that today, didn't we? Was it today? Was it yesterday? Whatever. I think it's like, you know, um, why is life messy or something like that. Right. So it's going to have a really cool name to it. Right. So, um, we'll have a page up that people could sign up to do that one as well. Um, 
but between now and then, uh, as soon as I get this page done, uh, the plan is to have it done by tomorrow, if not by Wednesday. The doors will be open for early registration for the 37 Fundamentals course. So if you've been chomping at the bit to, to get signed up for that, um, you, you can do that soon. Um, and then Thursday, when I do that one, um, now if you sign up, as soon as the doors open, you're going to get like the extra bonuses that I'm tacking onto this thing. Thursday will be the one and only time that I will be adding on several additional training bonuses, programs, whatever, um, for folks to go through it. Right now we have three attached to it. Um, and one's a full program that normally to enroll in it is, um, minimum 197 and that's when it's on sale. Right. But we're I'm tossing that in. There's a couple of coaching calls that are worth uh, about $250 each. Um, and some other stuff, right? So there's three primary bonuses, but during Thursday's thing, and obviously if you, if you enroll before that, you'll see these, these, uh, early adopter kind of bonuses. Um, but after that, they will systematically go away until a couple of days before we get started. The 37 fundamentals course officially starts on the 26th and will be every Thursday night as far as the live classes go. If you can't make them, they're recorded. You'll still get them. Um, but if you enroll beforehand, there will be, um, early, uh, kind of, uh, work to do. And somebody asked me during this past, uh, webinar this past Thursday, um, cause they had gone through a program like it way back and it was more kind of intellectual, more, you know, do these things kind of thing. This one will, ha will be loaded with actual real world practice exercises that you'll be doing weekly. Some are internal work, right? Uh, reflection, um, uh, internal focus, figure you out kind of thing. Some will be external observation things, right? Where you're going to pay attention to these processes actually happening in the world. And some will be actual experiential, do these things. Uh, kind of thing, right? So this one is is very different in in the context of um, there will be a learning mode, there will be a um, uh, an actual experiential mode, right? Uh, exercises and things for you to do, and there will be a coaching element to it as well. Okay, that comes in two forms. So um, yeah. It'll be good, right? I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. So, um, James, questions, comments? Oh, did I mention spring camp? Spring camp is coming up uh, in about a month, right? A month and two days, uh, May 19th to the 21st, okay? So if you haven't already signed up for that, um, you know what? I think I forgot to adjust the, um, the registration, the tuition on the page. And I probably won't get to that tomorrow either. So you probably have until Wednesday, um, unless I have my dates wrong, to get in at the uh, registration that we have going up now. Because otherwise, after that, it's going up to the full tuition. And that's, what is it, 350 this year? Yes. All of our expenses are way up. So um, that has to be done. Uh, and also, uh, one of my guys, I, I have to get this done too. If you did register for it, um, or you're going to be registering for it, we will have a special T-shirt that you can uh, order that will be uh, – the design will be specifically for this year's uh, camp. So 
that'll be cool. Right. Uh, you can, you can actually order it online. You don't even have to like, you know, place an order and then wait for me to get everybody's order in and all that. Right. It'll be this one though will not, it's going to be on the WCI Dragon's Den, uh, pro shop, um, site that we have, but it will not be out in the wild, which means you, you won't be able to find it unless you enroll or register for camp. Um, you won't even have the link. It's going to be in a, in a hidden vault area where you'll have to have the link to even be able to access the page to, to order it. Right. So yeah, sneaky ninja bastard that I am. <laughs> all right. Um, that's all I have. Uh, anything else? Last call. James, do you have anything that, that I, I missed or that you need to, uh, you want to put out? No, I think you hit everything. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> Okay. James is now doing part-time stuff at the dojo to help with growth. So um, if you call the dojo and he answers, don't be like surprised because James is usually the guy that's been helping everybody resolve things uh, online, handling all that stuff. But uh, he's wanting to do more um, at the dojo as well. So I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to all this stuff. So, Nothing like one more person that can focus um, past, like, scroll, 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 right? <laughs> Stay focused on things. So they're getting harder and harder to find, believe it or not, right? especially for big targeted projects, right? What the, what the brain science is now showing is that, um, and again, I'm 60, so I'm going to say it, right? The younger generations, right? The younger they get, the more they're able to do at one time, as in like kind of multitasking, right? But the less they accomplish completely because they're all over the place, right? So now is, there's no better time than, than now to help people be able to focus. So it'll be cool. It'll be cool. All right. I hope that everybody joins me on the 37 course. If not, at least uh, this this uh, Thursday's thing, James will get a will get a, a sign up sheet or a, what do you call them? the registration page up because yeah. uh, that's how you'll get the Zoom meeting access, right? And uh, I'm going to do the same thing I did with last Thursday, right? Only those people who signed up for it, right? Um, and actually, if I can figure out this time how to limit it to those people who showed up, right, um, they're, they're the only people that are going to get the recording, right? But you have to at least sign up for it, right, to get the recording, right? And we're not giving it out afterwards or anything like that, right? So because it's all going to be part of these recordings uh, for these past uh, the, for the past webinar and this webinar will also end up in the vault for those who uh, jump into the uh, 37 Fundamentals program. That way they've got got that as extra. But if you signed up for it, you'll have the recording, so you'll have at least that. But I want people to be able to refer back to to certain things, even though in the full course we're going to go much deeper. But you guys know how I how I do things, right? Last Thursday's class, I did not expect it to go what slightly over two hours. Yes, just will be like sixty to ninety minutes. And anyway, so. <laughs> So that's it. Uh, I hope, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll see you on some of these other programs. If not, we'll see you next week on 
Kuden. Get more of Kuden Radio. Subscribe through your favorite podcasting site or join our clan of serious modern warriors at OnlineNinjaAcademy.com.